your Bibles this morning, 1 John, the book of 1 John, chapter number 2. 1 John, chapter number 2. I'm very thankful for the influence of the youth ministries at Chai Baptist Church in my own life. We're going to preach this morning from a text of Scripture that as a teenager, I was encouraged to memorize. I'm thankful that I did. There's a lot of the verses that Fred encouraged me to memorize that I didn't, and uh, I probably should regret that, but the ones I did memorize, I'm very thankful for, and this is one that the Lord has used in my life many, 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 many times. I don't think I've ever preached a message from this text before today, but this passage of scripture has been a big help, and I'm thankful that it was put in my heart because of the influence of our church many years ago. In 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 15, the Bible says this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The emphasis of this text is very important. But I want you to pay close attention to verse number 17. And I think that we can see the ultimate goal that's laid out for us in verse number 17. The Bible says, The world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I want you to pay attention to that phrase, he that doeth the will of God. He that doeth the will of God. He that does the will of God, the Bible says, abideth forever. And the Bible says there's an eternal nature to the will of God. And as we study this subject of the will of God, we see that there's more than just eternal value in the will of God, but there is a lot of temporal life value in the will of God. Why do you think that it's so important? In God's word and to God, for God to emphasize you doing his will in your life. Why do you think it's so important to God? As some people have this idea that God wants me to do his will because he's a, a proud God that, that wants to be worshipped because he's a proud God. That's not the case at all. Some people have the idea that God wants us to do his will so that he just knows that we're under his control. And, and some people determine to do God's will because they think that if I don't do God's will, God's going to smush me with his great big creative thumb. That's not the case at all. Why does God emphasize his will? And why does God want us to seek and to do his will? God wants us to do his will because he loves us so much that he knows that if we will do his plan for our lives, we will have the very best. I'll just tell you something. There is no person that has devised a better plan for their life than God has. And there's no person or you and yourself has not, have not devised a plan for your life that's better than God's plan. The most foolish thing that any of us can do is to live by our own devices, and reject God's will for our lives. Some people have this notion that if I want to do, if I seek to do God's will for my life, he'll call me to preach. The chances of that are slim. And the truth is, you will not be called of God to preach or be a missionary without the Lord putting a desire to do those things in your heart ultimately. 
So don't be scared. There's lots of people scared to death to surrender to God because they're scared to death. God's going to ask them to do something that's uncomfortable. He will ask you to do things that are uncomfortable, but he will not ask you to do anything that is not the best for your life and that will make you happy. Don't forget it. God's will. He that doeth the will of God. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let me tell you something. You should make it your life's goal to know and do God's will. Know and do God's will for your life. Some people have this idea about God's will. That's erroneous. Some people have the idea that God's will is some imaginary place in the future where you arrive. I remember as a young person praying for God's will. I prayed for God's will in my life, and it was the right thing to do. And I was taught here in the youth group, you should be praying for God's will in your life. And I was praying for God's will. And you know, the, one of the things that, was God, that I wanted to know, that, which was God's will for my life, was where to go to college. That was a big deal. As a teenager, I prayed, Lord, where do you want me to go to college? I knew God had called me to preach, and I, I, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to the right place. And, and so I prayed. It's the first thing as a young person, I remember really praying for God's will. And I remember thinking that it was some, I was just imagining that God's will was some foggy place off in the distance in the future. And God's will to me was this imaginary time when I, I walked on the campus for the very first time and finally God's will. Now, ultimately I walked on the campus and God led me somewhere to college. But I found out that God's will was not something three years down the road, six months down the road, three weeks down the road. God's will was not, was not something that was far off in the future, but the path to God's will was doing God's will today. If you want to know God's will for the future, you just determine with the Lord's help, today I'm going to do God's will, and tomorrow I'm going to do God's will. How many of you know what God's will for your life ten years down the road is? Don't raise your hand because you don't. Neither do I. Neither do I. But I can guarantee you there's a way to be in God's will 10 years down the road if you'll determine to the best of your bit. Now look, you're going to mess up all along the way. I do too. Often. But if you'll determine, I'm going to live for Jesus today. I'm going to live for Jesus tomorrow. I'm going to live for Jesus the next day. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to live for Jesus today. Guess what happens? Husbands, you lead your family in God's will. Wives, you lead your family in God's will. Children, you find and do God's will. How? Just by simply attempting to obey the Lord and trust him and do what's right today and tomorrow and the next day. God's will. It's good. We should be yearning for God's will. Let me tell you something. If your will and God's will contradict, choosing your own will is something that is far inferior to choosing God's will. The devil tells you a lie the de- that God doesn't want you to have fun. The devil tells you a lie that God is hiding something from you. But the bottom line is we should all yearn to know God's will for our lives. Whether you're a young person a middle-aged person, an old person, or you've got one foot in the grave, you should determine with your heart, I want to know and do God's will for my life. The ultimate goal of this passage of Scripture is to know and do God's will. So when I think about God's will, I think, how can I know and do God's will for my life? Well, there's three words I'll bring your attention to this morning. The first word is love. The second word is leadership, and the third word is longevity. We're going to consider these three subjects and consider 
the will of God for our lives. If I want to know and do God's will for my life that abides forever, the first thing I'm going to have to consider is where does my love abide? Love, the matter of love. What do you love? What do you love? Is there something you love more than God? Love. Look what the Bible says in verse number 15. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Three times we have the word love in this this verse of Scripture. And the Bible gives us command, love not the world. If we're going to understand, we're going to have to make some definitions. The first thing we're going to find is the word love. Maybe you've heard preachers uh, in past messages show you the difference between agape love and phileo love. Those are two Greek words. You don't have to be a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination to understand the Bible. But these are words that people like to make a difference about. And it makes sense. And we use these two different types of love words in our own vocabulary. You see, agape love is that deep abiding love that would describe the love that God had for me by sending his own son to die on the cross. Agape love is the love when I describe to you and I talk to you, I say, I love my wife, I love my children, I love my parents, I love my church, I love people. That kind of love is a deep abiding love and it's good. But then there's the phileo love, a different type of love. It's a love that is lesser, like I love to fish and hunt I love to golf. I love my truck. I, that type of, and really, we've got to be careful how we throw the word love around because we don't want to lose its meaning and value. But you understand. There's a love that, that is the love of God, and then there's a love that's just kind of, you know, I like that a whole lot. And in this passage of Scripture, the word love, the Bible says, love not the world. Does that mean that I can't like the things that the world has to offer? As a matter of fact, no. I'm thankful. It's my understanding that in just a little while, I'm going to have some pulled pork barbecue. And I love that idea. God provided it. Hallelujah. It's good. It's not bad. I'm thankful for a comfortable bed. I'm thankful when it got hot here a few minutes ago. Matthew's able to turn the air conditioner on for us. Hallelujah. If you're cold, it's my fault. (laughs) I love some things that the world has to offer, but let me tell you something. We've got to be careful that we do not love the world and the things of the world above our love for God. And if you're going to know and do the will of God, you're going to have to make sure that your first love is God. Your first love is God is the Word of God, the person of God. You're going to love God first, and you're going to love to know and do His will, and you're going to love not the world. Love not the world. If we're going to look and continue here, the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, we can't set our affection on things above God. The Bible says, if any man love the world, The love of the Father is not in him. Do you see that? There's pretty strong statements in 1 John. This is one of them. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the Bible makes it very plain. If you love the world, then the love of God is not in you. Some folks want to say, oh, no, if I love the world, then God doesn't love me anymore. That's not what that means at all. 
The Bible just says, if you love the world, you don't have room in your heart to love God too. What's amazing about the love of God is he loves me no matter what. He knows every detail about how rotten I am and loves me anyway. Hallelujah. But the Bible says, look, if you love the world first... If you have this agape love for the things of the world, the successes of the world, and you love the world first, there's not room left in your heart to love God. There's a verse of scripture that immediately came to my mind as I began to study this. And I have it memorized, but I didn't have it memorized perfectly. I was saying about it early this morning, and I thought, I better double check and make sure I've got the words exactly right before I start quoting this to the church this morning. And I found it in Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 2. And I misquoted in my heart. Here's what I said in my heart. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The Bible is right and true that we should not set our affections on things above. Well, we should set our affections on things above and not on things that are. We should be looking to God first. But you know, I misquoted that. I said, set your affections. But you know what the Bible actually says? The Bible says affection, singular. Affections is what I said. Affection is what the Bible says. And you know what it means? And you can, just, you can plow here for a long time if you're a preacher. There's not room in my heart to serve God in the world. There's not room in my heart to have affections, plural. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Does that mean once I've set my affection on God, I can't enjoy the things of the world? Absolutely not. Now, the Bible says it like this. No man can serve two masters. He'll love the one and hate the other. But let me tell you something sweet about being a child of God. If you will set your affection, singular, on God first, God first, then this comes true. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You know what's so sad? We love the world. And we give our lives and our influence. And we sell our souls to enjoy the things of the world that God has designed for us to enjoy. But he wants us to enjoy them in the right order. Put God first. And then you can have all the joys that come with it with no regret. See, if we're going to do the will of God, it's going to start with the right kind of love. Love not the world, but love God. Love. Number two, we'll move from love to leadership. Leadership. Do you know that there's things in all of our lives that are leading us, that are directing us, that are driving us? How many of you are driven by certain things? I am. Driven. I'm led. Some things that motivate me. There are certain things that I'm happy to get up for. There's other things I'm not. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some things, if you have to get up at six o'clock to do it, it's like, oh my lands. Other things you have to get up at six o'clock to do, it's like, woohoo. Some of us men get in trouble when it comes fishing and hunting time with our wives. If she wants to go shopping, six o'clock's way too early. If we want to go turkey hunting, 4.30 is fine, right? We're driven, led, motivated by things. 
Do you know what should be our primary motivation as all of God's creation people? Our primary motivation in life should be to obey God. Don't forget that. Your primary motivation in life should be to obey God. You see, the, the scripture teaches us here that the things that motivate us should be God, but often the things that motivate us are different. Look what the scripture says in verse number 16. The Bible says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, there are these things in the world that motivate us. Now, now here's what they are. The things in the world, the lust of the flesh. You know, the lust of the flesh motivates people. There are lots of people. If they can get a fleshly fix of some sort, they'll go to great lengths to get it. It's a sad situation that we have in our society where People that we've known and loved will do anything for a drug fix. It's a sad situation that we live in that people will forsake their wives and forsake their husbands and forsake their families for some type of sensual fix. See, the Bible says that we're to be motivated by God, but so often we're motivated, motivated by the flesh. The leadership, the thing that pushes us to do what we do should be God, but often it's not. And the Bible says the lust of the flesh. We should stay away and be cautious about the lust of the flesh. It doesn't stop there. It says the lust of the flesh. It says the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These are things that drive us. And if we allow them to take control of our lives, they drive us away from God. They drive us away from God's will. They drive us away from what's right. Let's just consider for just a minute the lust of the flesh. There's a great illustration of these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in the book of Genesis, chapter number 3. You might want to take that note down. You might want to look at it with me in your Bibles. Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 6. Eve illustrates the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life perfectly. Eve. You remember Adam and Eve in the beginning, the book of Genesis. Eve is being tempted by the old serpent, the devil. There was one thing that God had forbidden Adam and Eve from doing in the Garden of Eden. It was taking from that tree, that fruit. And the devil was tempted her and said, hey, look, he, God just doesn't want you to be like him. He knows if you eat this one thing, then you'll become like God's. And we watch the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life motivate, drive Eve to sin. What's it say in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6? Eve, she saw that the tree was good for food. It was the lust of the flesh. You know what she saw? She saw that the tree was good for food. She saw, she's like, oh, man. Uh, she saw this, if I eat that fruit, it's going to taste really good. Her, she knew that fruit could satisfy her flesh, the lust of her flesh. She's like, I've, ate, I've eaten apples, I've eaten grapes, I've eaten kiwis, I've eaten oranges. Can you imagine all the fruit that's in the Garden of Eden? And God's fruit was good. She said, but I've not ever eaten that one. I bet it's good. And she saw that it was good to be eaten. 
And it motivated her flesh. It drove her flesh. She said, she said, I've tasted all these other things, but I've not tasted that. Surely, surely I should taste that. It'll make me feel, I guarantee you one thing. Maybe I shouldn't be so bold as to guarantee it, but I'm pretty sure that that sinful fruit tasted better than any fruit she'd ever put in her mouth. But that's how sin is. That's how sin is. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But once she tasted of the fruit and sinned against God, the lust of the flesh, what did it produce? Rottenness and regret. Oh, Eve, she fell to the lust of the flesh. It drove her. Let me tell you something, it'll do the same thing for you. You think, oh man, if I could have that, if I could experience that, if my flesh could partake in that thing, it would be wonderful. And maybe so, but let me tell you something, if you get that thing unrighteously and leave God out in your life and it's not God's will, if you have the thing that you think you want so bad will be the most bitter thing in your bosom. How many of you have ever just gone after something, gone after something, gone after something, gone after something, finally you got it? And when you got it, you thought, oh, this is rotten. i got to get rid of it. I've been there and done it. How about you? Have you done that? Me too. You know what it was? It's the lust of the flesh. You know what's sweet? Repent of your sin. God forgives you. You get a new start every day. Hallelujah. The lust of the flesh. You know, the lust of the flesh motivates us and it drives us. It leads us. It's a matter of leadership. It leads us. But guess what it does? It leads us away from God and God's will. And God's best. The lust of the flesh. The second one was the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. So the Bible says in Genesis 3, 6 that when Eve looked on that tree that it was, the fruit was good for food, she says it was pleasant to the eyes. You know what she saw? She saw something that motivated her. Isn't visual such a powerful thing. The things we see. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. We've got to be careful. The lust of the eyes will drive us away from God. Things that God intended to be good and cause us great grief. The lust of the eyes. Eve, she saw that it was pleasant, and it was pleasant to the eyes. And finally, the third one was this the pride of life. The pride of life. How did Eve get led and driven by the pride of life? The Bible says of Eve that she saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. You know what she's motivated by? The pride of life. You know what Eve decided she wanted? She's like, hmm, if I can eat that and be like God, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. She already knew that God had been able to speak into existence everything that was. She saw and knew that God had been able out of a mud ball to be able to make Adam. And she thought, you know what? I can make a better mud ball than that. If I have the wisdom of God, if I could be on a pedestal with the Lord, she's motivated by her pride, the pride of life. You know, some of us, we just can't live until somebody praises us or if we think somebody's not happy with us it drives us berserko pride of life pride of life pride of life. and let me tell you something the pride of life will drive you to do some of the most ridiculous things 
Some people have this idea, I can't be respectable until I have a degree. I can't be this until I have this notoriety. I can't be this until I have that job. And let me tell you something. The pride of life leaves you empty. The pride of life drives you to hurt other people. The pride of life is not something that should be the motivator, the leader in your life. God help us. Lust and pride make terrible leaders, just so you know. But if you're led by God, oh, how sweet it is. Oh, to know the will of God, you know what it's going to require? Loving God more than loving the world. To be in the will of God, you know what it's going to take? It's going to be led by the Spirit instead of led by lust and pride. Finally, the third thing to consider, this is the logical conclusion, longevity. Longevity. You know what that means? Last a long time. As a matter of fact, your relationship with Jesus and doing the will of God is not something that just lasts a long time. It lasts forever, eternally. Hallelujah. Look what the Bible says in verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. How long does the greatest that the world has to offer last? (laughs) Not very long. Not very long. Everybody tells me that, that are older than me, boy, enjoy these days. They fly by and they're right. Enjoy these days. They fly and they're right. And I'll just tell you, if you can start thinking about it, all I have is life. Hmm. This is a depressing place. If all you have is life and what you can accomplish in life, this is a depressing existence. All I have is life. And the truth is, you and I are not promised another day or a minute. I mean, not only is life horrible, but life's short. Life's often tragic. Huh, life. I couldn't help but think about some different folks that had amazing lives. One of them, the first one that came to mind was Steve Jobs. He was one of the founders of Apple. And when Steve Jobs passed away, he was a buku gazillion millionaire. And then some. Hey, I'm thankful. I, I, I hate the tragedy of his story. I'm thankful for some things he offers. I've got a MacBook. I've got an Apple Watch. I carry an iPhone in my pocket. and I mean, some things, they did some amazing things. Let me tell you something. That man accomplished amazing things in his life. But right when things got to the peak, guess what happened? Steve Jobs, who has control over so much, has zero control over the sickness and invaded his body. And his life was short. And I don't say that with glee in my heart. It breaks my heart. I hate it for the guy. But it's just a reminder that the things of the world have an extremely short shelf life. The pleasures of the world have an extremely short shelf life. And we're all mortal that's why it's so important that all the days of our lives that we live to know and do the will of God why? 
Because the Bible says it like this. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Hallelujah. Now, don't get too scared here. I'm confident that God is leading men and women to be missionaries and male men and carpenters and plumbers and doctors and farmers and faithful employees, etc., etc., etc. Let me tell you something. If you determine to do what God's given you to do because it's God's will, you know what happens? You get to enjoy the glories of God's creation. The sweetness of the things and the pleasures of life that God has designed. You get to enjoy them for life, but you also get to rest in the fact that the thing that matters the most to me lasts forever. You see, it's a plague among Christian people in the world that we live. And it's a temptation for all of us. And I'm pointing a big finger at me. To live for the world. But oh, how foolish we are to live for the world when we ought to live for Jesus. And when you live for Jesus, guess what you get? You get Jesus and the joy of serving the Lord while you live and the promise of eternity. Hey, look, the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever, forever. Hey, look. Make sure you put Jesus first. Make sure you put Jesus first. Make sure you give him the proper place in your life. And I'll tell you, every joy in the world will be sweeter when Jesus is first. And your affection, singular, is on the Lord. Love, leadership, longevity. That's how we can know and do the will of God. Let's pray.